Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or the SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. Today is Wednesday, July 5th, and I'm joined today by my SSI colleague, Nate Fryer. It's been a while since we've had Nate here uh, at SSI Live, but uh, we've got good reason to have him back now. He has finished recently a, uh, a major study on risk. He was the principal author and project director of a, a nearly year-long study the War College undertook with both faculty and staff entitled, At Our Own Peril. DOD Risk Assessment in a Post-Primacy World. Now, that study is uh, available now at the SSI website. You can find it at ssi.armywarcollege.edu, and it's available to download for free, and I've invited Nate to join us to discuss that today. So, welcome back, Nate. Good to be here. Thanks. Nate, let's start by talking about the genesis of the study. Why did you undertake this? Why did your faculty student team undertake this effort? So, look, there's the, the one thing I would say is uh, I have been involved in risk as it, re- as it relates to DOD since 2000. Um, it was probably the first, it was, in fact, the first project that was handed as a junior staff officer on the Army staff on the doorstep of a quadrennial defense review. And it, it, it's been a bit of a it has been a bit of a um, uh, obsession of mine um, since, largely because uh, the concept of risk and the in the, the word risk is used so uh, widely and so broadly inside the defense communities of interest and practice that I have always found it fascinating to determine exactly what the different constituencies mean by it and the differences in how it's applied and how in certain respects we can harmonize um, those perspectives in a way that makes the concept of risk uh, much more useful, both to the internal consumer, the risk assessor within DOD, as well as the external consumer and those interested in DOD's risk-based choices. So that's kind of the genesis of where it came from. It was also, uh, frankly, a high-priority Army leadership uh, last year in their studies priority, so it's it's exactly how we grabbed onto it. Well, I think you're right. It's absolutely a critical concept for what DOD does and, and how it does it, but I think too often, as you suggest, it's maybe poorly understood uh, by some sometimes folks within the building itself and certainly by uh, some outside the building. Let me ask you, what were some of the shortcomings that you saw, though, in DOD's current conceptualization of, of risk and how, how they go about thinking about it? Well, the, I, I think that I think you know what's interesting is the approach we take in these studies is we actually involve a very wide and broad uh, community of interest and practice that helps us um, not only conceptualize where we need to look, but also in certain respects how we need to think about problems. And and it was from the very beginning that there is profound dissatisfaction amongst all constituencies inside DOD about the concept of risk. Not necessarily the, you know, there are many, there's a, there's a, there is, for example, a chairman's risk assessment process that occurs annually, not necessarily about any one process or procedure, but in general, there was satisfaction both at the senior levels of leadership, as well as at the working levels uh, with, within DOD in how we think about it, how we describe it, how we assess it, and how we employ risk then 
to 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 make better decisions in the Department of Defense. And so that that frankly I think is a very is an overarching conclusion of the report that that there is significant dissatisfaction about the concept of risk inside DOD. There's there's this duality that exists, right? There's this there's 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 this you know universal recognition inside DOD that number one the concept of risk and the employment of risk in decision making is important. At the same time, on the flip side of that coin, there's also a great deal of, like I said, a great deal of unease or dissatisfaction with how, in fact, it's described, assessed, uh, defined, employed um, in that decision making. And so as a result of that, I think, you know, we found that it was important to dive in and, and actually attempt on behalf of all of the various interest groups inside the Department of Defense to sort of reset the the conception of risk in a way that could put them all on a common footing. Well, given this array of weaknesses, uh, let's uh, take a bite of the, one of the first bits there that you mentioned, and that was how the department describes risk. What, what did you argue, what did you find in the study about how DOD should adapt its approach in describing risk? Well, so I, I think what we found is we found that there's a bit of a staid cultural bias to use the best way to describe it is long practice norms and that the department has used forever to describe risk. And that that generally is along two axes of likelihood and consequence, and then using and then use words based on an assessment of those two data points, you know, to use words like significant, high, moderate, low, etc. Um, and in fact, one of the very last things that, that, that was said to us in the process of actually putting the study together was all of that language I just sort of laid out right there has, has numbed the, the, the department to the concept of risk. I mean, how many times can you say you're at significant risk without, and not do anything about it without somebody finally saying, well, this isn't important then. And that, and that applies both within the department, but also, you know, as important, for example, to constituencies like, uh, the Congress, the national security staff, et cetera. I mean, that the, the, those consumers of DOD's risk perceptions and risk um, assessments also have become numb to the idea that, you know, if you say significant or if you just say severe, if you say extreme, and by that you are implying that the sky is falling and the sky doesn't actually fall, then, then you have a problem with your assessment. What we found actually is instead of using likelihood and consequence, for example, we found it more important to use importance and urgency. So importance really is some combination of uh, strength of interest matched against consequence. And urgency is really some, some consideration of likelihood matched to sort of the, pr- the need or pressure to act. The time horizon. Right. So, right, exactly. So, it's, so, I mean, we found that to be the, you know, one of our very first um, interesting observations is that likelihood and consequence drive you to basically always be addressing your 1% prospect. For example, you know, if you have something that you consider to be very high consequence, uh, but the likelihood is some is, you know, moderate to low, the consequence so swallows up your strategic calculations that you basically pour in money, pour in resources, pour in conceptual thought against that problem. Because you know, even though it's the one percent problem, the the thought of 
it going wrong or the thought of us not being prepared for it is basically sucks the oxygen out of considering other things. We found that, you know, using an objectives-based approach, you know, using your objectives as, as a measure of merit, but also then taking this this idea of time horizon or urgency and, and using that as the second major sort of risk identifier, uh, you get a better picture of where your gaps are. Hey, let me ask you, um, let me ask you to unpack that a bit, though, then. If, if you argue that DOD ought to shift from a threat-based risk assessment to one that's objective-based, what are some of the implications of DOD doing that? In other words, are there budgetary implications? Uh, there are probably acquisition implications, maybe? What do you think? Well, there are implications across the board. Right now, I mean, okay, so right now, essentially, and that's probably a, a really, you know, another good thing for me to have said up front is that right now, risk assessment inside the Department of Defense is dominated by near-term risk. Can we actually fight tonight? Can we actually execute the war plans that we have on the shelf and, and do them to a level of satisfaction, that to a level of cost and objective satisfaction that, that makes us comfortable in where we are? Uh, unfortunately, there's two truisms about that approach that nobody really te- spends any amount of time publicly talking about. Number one, we very rarely execute those war plans. If you historically go back to 1945 and, you know, U.S. primacy, the extent to which we actually went and took a plan off the shelf and executed it exactly as it was, you know, written and rewritten and rewritten again, very rare. We're actually assessing risk about things we never do. That's a fundamental problem. And then the other problem, the, the reason, the reason uh, that becomes even more of a problem is it sort of crowds out the future. If all we're doing is basically serially re-identifying our current operational shortfalls, right, which is essentially what we're talking about when we're just persistently assessing current risk against current plans. Uh, we're just actually, you know, reappreciating where we have immediate shortfalls. We are, by definition, leaving giant gaps in the future. We are not pushing our risk assessment out on a time horizon past the immediate term, um, and actually, as a result of that, making strategic decisions on, you know, capabilities, resources, personnel, strategy, concepts, operations, et cetera that are further out. Now, is, is that work going on? Yes. To a certain extent, that work is going on. Is that work somehow connected back to a, to a very deliberate risk calculation? No. So until, until you actually link the two, until you actually link long-term strategy development and then a risk assessment associated with that strategy and then make strategic decisions over time based on that risk assessment, you are essentially throwing darts at a dartboard. You're, you're disconnecting, you know, your strategic decision-making from your concept development, from your acquisition, et cetera. Now, Nate, I know one of the things that you argue for in the study, uh, the, the kind of change you're arguing for, really a- applies or needs to apply across the entire DOD enterprise. And, and that is, of course, a major undertaking. Uh, you argue that there needs to be a comprehensive communications approach on the part of the department, all of its senior leadership, et cetera, to make sure that, you know, all are on the same page. So how do you recommend right. DOD goes about that? Well, so actually, I mean, one, one of the terms that, that I don't think were, were novel in the fact that we came up with it and it, you know, one of the teammates came up with this, which I think is uh, a credit to the team approach we took to it. But really what has to happen is there has to be a common risk currency. Right now there is a currency 
of risk that's used inside the uniform side of the military by itself. Uh, and by common risk currency, I mean a common way of describing particular aspects of risk, a common tool um, by which you at least consider risk. And, and there is not that, that. That doesn't exist today. There's sort of a perception in the services. There's a perception at the joint level. There's a perception at the civilian leadership level, right, on what risk is. So the first and most important thing is a common risk currency. An example of that that we use in the report is we think that there should be, uh, a, we believe that DOD should actually derive from its enduring defense objective and the hazards that are presented to those objectives and the approaches DOD might have to take uh, in the future to address those hazards, they should generate what we call a principal risk portfolio, which is essentially a set of defense activities that are most connected to securing your enduring defense objectives, right? There's a set of objectives out there that regardless of changes in political leadership, regardless of changes in the rising and falling of specific challenges or threats, that there's a set of defense activities or military activities that you can actually leverage to assess whether or not over time that the defense enterprise is prepared for um, the tasks that it is both most likely to undertake to defend enduring interests, but also in extremists, those sort of military missions that will be required for the United States to de protect its most precious defense objectives. And so we think this idea of a principal risk portfolio is a really good place to start. You know, in the current portfolio, we identify eight principal activities that the department may have to undertake that they, they represent a, a range of uh, defense demands. We call them demands. They, 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 they represent a range of demands all the way, you know, from what is now sort of undervalued as, you know, humanitarian assistance and consequence management all the way up to and through some kind of major conflict and strategic deterrence and defense, right? So, so the nuclear enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that we use that portfolio as the first starting point for this currency, that if we just talk about risk in terms of that portfolio and those eight common defense demands that are essential to securing enduring defense interests uh, or enduring defense objectives, then we get to a place where at least we are all on the same starting starting point. Start, you know, we're all on the same page initially. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing we're talking about with currency. All right, let me ask you about the way ahead here. You've got an, a number of, as you just outlined, a couple of them, a, a number of recommendations in the study, uh, some key findings. What do you think the principal hurdles are that stand in the way of the adaptation you and the team have proposed in the study? Because I think some of the things that you were suggesting the department take on or the, the ways in which it changed I mean, are, are pretty significant and will require, in some cases, a real cultural shift. What do you see as the major obstacles? We talk about this at the end of the report. And, and again, it's, it's a function of, you know, as you know, when you go through one of these, you know, pull in the, the insights of so many different constituencies and try and pull them together and synthesize them into granular, executable uh, recommendations. I think one of the things that we came away with is risk ownership. Right now, ownership of risk inside the Department of Defense is at best split, but in most cases identified with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right? So, you know, and perhaps one of the more controversial insights we came, came away with is kind of a major takeaway was this idea that as the CEO, as the senior quote-unquote officer in the, in the military chain of command, 
that the Secretary of Defense needs to own risk. That in the end, certainly the chairman's process is is important and it, it could be adapted to be, you know, to take on a much longer term view. But in the end, the, the chairman's process needs to feed into a into a common risk currency that's held at sort of department level and that is used by the secretary to both assess and communicate risk outside, you know, assess it internally and communicate it both within the department and externally. So I think that, that, that risk ownership is, is really important. The second thing I'd say is risk assessment or risk as a culture, right? I mean, just because you use the term risk doesn't mean you're talking about bad things all the time. I mean, it really, risk is just an objective assessment of the likelihood of failure or prohibitive costs associated with you taking on your objectives. Businesses do it, not-for-profits do it, DOD needs to do it. And and if you look at it in those relatively parsimonious terms, um, the likelihood of failure, prohibitive cost to secure uh, enduring defense objectives is a great start point for the department then to actually use to, to actually infuse risk into their culture. And by that, I mean every single major decision that's associated, you know, major decision is inside the Department of Defense should basically end with a statement of risk. We plan on doing X. Here's the, here's the course of action that we're going to take. And here are the risks associated with that course of action. Now, you've already done some risk assessment as well, right? So you've come to a point where you know, you know, what the likelihood of failure, prohibitive cost is along the way. But some statement of risk, I mean, again, I don't even want to boil this down to paperwork and, and reports and things like that. That's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to get the entire department to think in terms of these are my objectives. This is the course of action we've adopted to achieve those objectives. And he, here are the hazards associated with that course of action. And here's the likelihood of failure, prohibitive costs that's associated with pursuing that course of action and, and actually achieving your objective. So risk as a culture is, I think, the second big takeaway that I would that I would say that we have to do. And the other thing is the way you talk about it. I mean, stop talking about risk, high, moderate, low, and, and, and actually not doing anything about it, right? So the, the other, you know, major thing to talk about, and frankly, has become sort of the dominant theme of the report, is risk has to have a point. Risk assessment has to have a point, and that point has to be adaptation. If you are doing risk assessments for risk assessment's sake, if risk assessment is nothing more than navel-gazing, as I implied earlier, right, where you're appreciating your current near-term shortfalls, then you might as well not do them. But if, in fact, your risk assessment process and your perspective on risk inside the department has the purpose of adapting the department in what is a very turbulent, very uncertain, and frankly, very competitive we call it hyper-competitive environment, then adapting to that environment persistently has got to be the objective of your risk assessments. Well, Nate, this uh, is a major study. Couldn't couldn't have come at a better time, frankly, uh, ladies and gentlemen, given the, the re-examination underway now within the department on, in terms of uh, U.S. defense strategy. The report, again, is entitled At Our Own Peril, DOD Risk Assessment in a Post-Primacy World. Principal author and project director, Nate Fryer, thanks again for joining us today. It's great being with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Listeners, if you want to read that study on risk assessment that we've just been discussing here, you can find it now at the SSI website. That's, again, ssi.armywarcollege.edu, and you can download it for free.
You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcast, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website, ssi.armywarcollege.edu, find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.